If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 16. As you're turning there, I think that it's probably about time I made a confession to you. Uh, I did not grow up in St. Louis. I know, I'm sorry, and it's, it gets worse, it gets worse. I grew, I grew up in Illinois, uh, just a couple, of, a couple of hours across the river, uh, just uh, east on 64. We call it 64 over there. Um, but there's something special about Illinois that I've always appreciated and marveled at, and that is the fact that every March, we got a day off school growing up. Now, it wasn't spring break, as you might have thought, and it definitely wasn't Easter yet. Uh, it was Casimir Pulaski Day. Is anybody familiar with Casimir Pulaski Day? Three, four, five. Okay, so Casimir Pulaski, he's not a long-lost relative of Chris's. Um, <laughs> no, but growing up, I had no idea who Casimir Pulaski was. I think my best guess, I remember thinking this as, as an adolescent, was he must have been the first guy to kayak down the Mississippi River. But that actually wasn't it. Now, I, I mean, as, as, as plausible as that sounds, that's, that's not who he was. Casimir Pulaski actually uh, was a military commander in uh, Poland. Uh, and he, uh, he came to America to assist the colonials fight the Revolutionary War. In fact, Kazimierz Pulaski is known as the father of the American cavalry. He, he, uh, he trained up the cavalry and he led them into battle. And actually, on one occasion, he actually saved George Washington's life. Pretty neat guy who I knew nothing about, right? Um, you know, and, and even to this day, there's, there's Pulaski County and there's Pulaski cities and there's, there's Pulaski streets and there's statues to Kazimier Pulaski. And in some areas of Illinois, even to this day, the first Monday in March is Casimir Pulaski Day, and schools will close and kids will rejoice and not know why. <laughs> why, why do we do this? Why do we have celebrations that interrupt the rhythm of our lives where instead of Monday, it's Casimir Pulaski Day? or Juneteenth, or Martin Luther King Jr. Day, or Veterans Day, Memorial Day. Why do we do that? Is it simply so we can have a day off school? Is it simply so we can eat barbecue? Or maybe get a good deal on a mattress? <laughs> I, I, I don't think so, right? And even as I'm saying these things, you're answering for me in your heads, right? Why do we have Veterans Day? to celebrate our veterans, right? Why do we have Memorial Day? To, to celebrate those who have given their lives in defense of this country. Why do we have Juneteenth or, or Martin Luther King Jr. Day? To celebrate civil rights and the end of slavery in our country. These days, these events commemorate people or, or, or uh, things in our history, in the history of our nation or our lives that are important, that we don't want to forget. They form us into the type of people we want to be. And let's be honest, we are a forgetful people. We often forget what's important in life. We get so caught up in the daily run-of-the-mill existence, the ins and outs of work or family, uh, of the anxieties of, of planning for our future, that we forget who we are. 
And so we celebrate, we create these reminders to remind us of the type of people we are. On this day every year, we will celebrate. On this day every year, we will remember. Should come as no surprise to you that humanity hasn't really changed much from the beginning of time to now. We have always been bad at remembering. So much so that even whenever you look at Scripture, the theme of remembering occurs over 200 times. God is always telling his people to remember, right? God knows that we are shaped and influenced by, by the events and the travails and the hardships of our lives, and it's, it's difficult for us to keep clarity and remember who we are. We're prone to forget our blessings. We're prone to forget his faithfulness. We're, uh, instead, we, we focus on our own hardship, our own sense of entitlement or, or what we think we need in this moment or that moment. And so God continually calls us to remember. And one of the ways that he does that is by commemorating feasts. Days of extended celebration and remembrance that focus on God's deliverance and his protection and his faithfulness to his people. And that's what we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 16. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. In, in this uh, passage, uh, God outlines three uh, special commemorative feasts. Uh, they're not the only feasts. Uh, that God uh, commemorated, but these are, these are three special feasts that were held to remind the people of God uh, about who he is and what he's done for them. And the result is that as the people of God celebrate these feasts year after year, as the kids grow up saying, what is the Passover? What, what's the deal with these booths, right? Why do we celebrate these days? It invites moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents to share the story of God's faithfulness, God's protection, God's care and provision for his people. In other words, it's forming them. It's forming them into the people. It's, it's forming their identity of who they are. They are a people who trust and depend on God. So follow along this morning as I read from Deuteronomy chapter 16. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God, from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place where the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice. In the evening, at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. 
And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the Feast of Booze seven days, when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place where the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booze. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Let's pray. Father, we lift up these next few moments to you as we consider your word and the movement of your spirit in our midst. We pray that we would have soft hearts to hear from you. Give us ears to hear. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we saw three separate festivals or feasts that were uh, to be celebrated annually by the Israelites. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which included the sacrifice of Passover. And this celebrated God's rescue of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Um, then there was the Feast of Weeks. And this was celebrating, uh, it was celebrated 50 days after Passover, uh, and it was sort of the beginning of the harvest season. And it included a, a free will offering back to God uh, of what they have received from their harvest. And then finally, there was the Feast of Booze, and this celebrated the end of harvest. Um, and and, and it, it was sort of a, a celebration of all of the, the bounty that they had received uh, from God uh, through their, uh, the harvesting of their crops. And, and this was a, a time to, that especially reminded them of their, uh, their wandering in the wilderness where God provided for them miraculously through that whole, uh, that whole season. Uh, these, these three feasts have become known as pilgrimage feasts uh, because the passage actually tells us that these people don't celebrate at home. Uh, they travel to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. They, they pack up and they, they take their families and they, they go to Jerusalem to celebrate together as the whole people of God. Why, why would God do that? Why would he stipulate how Israelites are to celebrate? Why, why would he stipulate where they're to, stipulate, or to celebrate? Or even when, at what time of day or for how many days or what have you? It's because in these feasts, God is forming his people. He's giving them an identity. He's, he's inviting them further into the story of relationship with him. 
In celebrating these feasts, generation after generation of Israelites are reminded who God is, what he has done for us, what are we to him, why does it matter, what is our future. This morning, I want us to look at three ways that God does that through these feasts. Three ways that God forms us. First, we are formed by remembering God's past protection. We're also formed by rejoicing in God's present provision. And finally, we are formed by hoping in God's future faithfulness. So let's, let's first look at how we remember God's past protection. You know, all throughout this passage, we see the reminders, Right? Uh, we see the reminders of God's past protection, and primarily in these, these three feasts, it's, it's focused on God's rescue of Israel from slavery in Egypt. I mean, even there in verse 1, it says, keep the Passover because your God brought you out of Egypt, right? And then later in verse 12, keep the feast of weeks and you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, In these feasts, the people are reminded of God's protection and care, his rescue. See, with the Passover, it's talking about a very real physical protection, right? It's a reminder of the last of the ten plagues. It was called the Passover because the last of the ten plagues was the angel of death, right? And there was a required sacrifice, a lamb, that needed to be killed, and the blood of the lamb spread on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over and not kill the firstborn. In the Feast of Weeks, we see a different kind of protection. It's not necessarily a physical protection, but more of a protection of dignity, Right? Israel is told to give a free will offering and that this offering is meant to be a reminder of their slavery in Egypt. Well, how could that be? Well, because whenever you're in slavery, you don't really have much of a choice over what you have and what you don't have, what you give and what you keep. It is taken from you. And now the people of God are free. And in that freedom, they are able to freely give. And they have dignity. Generosity marks their lives. But it's more than simply the words of reminder. The reminders of God's past protection. These people are reminded even in the way that they celebrate. The way that they partake in these feasts. For instance, with the Passover, we saw many details of this, right? It says that we are to observe the month of Abib, right? It reminded them that in the month of Abib is when they were rescued, It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and there's all these stipulations about how leaven should not be a part of your cooking for this week to remind them that they came out of Egypt in haste and they didn't have time to leaven their bread. Even the eating of the Passover sacrifice was timed to be at sunset to remind them of when they left Egypt. Similarly, the Feast of Weeks, right? The very name tells us that there is a specific timing. Verse 9, it says, You shall count seven weeks from the Passover. Begin to count those seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then keep the Feast of Weeks. With the Feast of Booths, it's exactly what it sounds like. They made actual booths, tents, shelters to remind them of their wilderness wanderings and the indwelling or the ingathering of the harvest and God's abundant provision to them. 
How about where? Where they're to celebrate, right? They're connected to a larger community because they're all forced to leave their homes and go to Jerusalem and gather together as the people of God. Because they celebrate in community, these people have an opportunity to see firsthand how God is working in the lives of their countrymen. They hear about it in the testimony and the stories of their neighbors and their friends and their family and even strangers they don't even know. In a lot of ways, this is like coming to church. We all take time out of our busy weekends. We all pilgrimage to a common place. We take part in obscure practices that don't really have any analog in the outside world, and and these are done to remind us of God's protection and care and his provision for his people, right? We we sing together. What what area of your life, other than maybe a choir or a barbershop quartet, do you actually sing with other people? Maybe in the car. Maybe. We confess sin together. We are assured of God's pardon in Christ. We, we pass the peace of Christ to one, excuse me, to one another. We read from, we listen to the preaching of God's word. We partake in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. We receive the pronouncement of blessing through the benediction. Each of these things serve to continually remind us of who we are and who God is what he has done for us, how he cares for us. And we get to do that together. I get to see firsthand what's going on in your life. You get to encourage me as I'm sitting in Doubting Castle, imprisoned by the giant despair, right? I need you. You need each other. I'm reminded, and in, in this was uh, Matt's, uh, from Matt's uh, confession of sin this morning, Christian wasn't alone in Doubting Castle. He had his friend Hopeful with him. And Hopeful was the one who was speaking truth and clarity and identity back into Christian's heart that ultimately reminded him of the promise that he had in Christ and allowed that freedom. This is what we do together as the people of God as we remember God's past protection. But not only do we remember, but we also rejoice. We rejoice in God's present provision. Everybody loves a good party. You know, there's something about getting together with family and friends and eating good food and and, and being together, and it, it just brings joy and pleasure, right? Yeah, nobody does this much better than, than my wife, Ellen. Um, yeah, I, I joke sometimes that it's actually, you know, she, she makes Tuesdays feel special. Uh, I think we can all probably agree Tuesday is the most normal day of the week, and yet somehow it's special in our house. We are always celebrating something. Now, there's the obvious holidays. There's, there's Christmas, there's Easter, Thanksgiving, Memorial Day. Labor Day, but there's also birthdays, and you know, whenever you've got six members of your family, there's always a birthday. Um, and what, what's, what's often the case in our house is that they're typically birth weeks, right? And some of you are familiar with that, right? There's, there's a special plate that the birthday boy or the girl eats off of, right? There's, there's usually multiple cakes that week. Um, 
I have recently started going back to the gym. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we observe standard feasts in our culture, like Super Bowl Sunday, right, or, or New Year's Eve. Um, but then there's also some more obscure feasts that we celebrate, such as May the 4th be with you, also known as Star Wars Day, right? Uh, and that, that's complete with, you know, pretzel rods dipped in icing to make lightsabers, you know, things of that nature. Uh, there's also Pi Day, right? So the mathematically inclined, this is March 14th, 314. Uh, and we celebrate by eating a lot of pie. That's, uh, it's, it's my favorite holiday. Uh, but behind each of these feasts, behind each of these celebrations, uh, there's a mom that knows the central truth about why we celebrate. We celebrate because God is good and he is worth enjoying. And that's what the principle of our passage is, is teaching us. We celebrate because God is good and he is worth enjoying. There's a couple of times here in this, in this passage where uh, the feasts are being outlined and the people are told, keep the feast, you must rejoice. You must have fun. You must enjoy it. I don't know about you, but it's hard to have fun sometimes. It's hard to enjoy what God has given me. I rob the joy from so much of my life because I'm so scared or anxious or worried. I'm so task-driven. There's so much to be done. I mean, we struggle with this every day. We struggle with it at work, right? We think, how can I take a day off? They need me. There is so much that needs to be done. What would happen if I wasn't there? I actually took this past Friday off, and that was exactly what happened to me. It was really difficult for me to not answer email, to not check my email, right? But to actually set work down and enjoy the day that the Lord has given me. This is the Sabbath principle. This is what Chris was talking about last week. But then you add in the reality that that. For the ancient Israelites, I mean, they were primarily farmers. They weren't salaried. They didn't have PTO, right? Their entire livelihood depended on them working. Their family's livelihood depended on them working, right? Could you imagine trying to take a day off in that culture? How about a whole week, right? Just to set work down and go have a frivolous party. How irresponsible, right? And then there's all the budgetary issues, right? If your family is like ours, you know, the, the, the economy, the inflation, right? Having kids, mouths to feed and saving for, like, we don't have money for a party. Are you serious? We barely have money to put food on the table to keep our kids in clothing that fits. Money, you know, partying or just having, having a festival or a feast like that, it just wouldn't be a, a fiscally responsible choice. These types of concerns are ours all too often, right? Celebrating, rejoicing, it, it seems like kind of a waste of time. It feels frivolous, it feels too costly. Maybe even most deceiving, it feels optional. It feels like, you know, whenever maybe I've got a little bit extra when the tax return comes in, or maybe, yeah, maybe we can get pizza, right? 
God's telling us here in Deuteronomy 16 that rejoicing in his goodness and provision is important. It's worth sacrificing. It's worth uh, giving significant time and money to. There is value in rejoicing in God's provision. But God goes even farther than that. He doesn't say it's just important. He says it's so important you should share it with others. Verse 11 tells us, invite your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within you in in your town, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. Don't just bring your family, but those who may not be with their family, right? The Levite who's serving in the temple or the sojourner who's, who's just traveling through. What about those who don't have family, like the fatherless or the widow? God's blessing and provision for us is to be shared and celebrated by everyone. And these are celebrations that are marked by generosity. God has abundantly provided for us, and so we generously and abundantly give to others. We all know the difference between a good party and a bad party, right? Bad parties, well, bad parties are like the luau that I threw for my college ministry back in college. Uh, Essentially, what made it a luau was that I ordered uh, those Hawaiian lei, the plastic ones, you know, that you can get like a thousand of for a dollar. That's that's what made it a luau, is I gave everybody one of those. Uh, I ordered pizza, and and then that was about it. That was was our luau. Uh, Now, you may be wondering or thinking in your head, well, maybe he got the Hawaiian pizza. I didn't. Uh, I, got, I got ham pizza, and then I went to Walmart and got a can of pineapple. And I said, if you would like Hawaiian pizza, make it yourself, right? It was a bad party. Uh, it was a very bad party. But good parties, on the other hand, seem like they spare no expense. Everything is thought of. It's, it's, it's carefully crafted, right? The host or the hostess, they've, they've, they've incorporated the food and, and the music and the conversation. You are made to feel like you're enjoyed. You don't settle for the cheapest or the simplest. Your joy is to give generously for others. There's always too much food. There's always enough to share. You should always be inviting a friend. You look at the table, you look at the spread of food before you, and your first thought is, wow, look at that. And then you're, you're in the car going home and, and you and your spouse are talking to each other and you say, man, I really want to do that again. Where is there an opportunity for you to rejoice in the goodness and the wonder of God with family, but with friends and with strangers? Who could you invite? What a, what a witness to a watching world that that not only is the Lord holy, not only is he worthy of our obedience, he is worthy of our joy. He is worthy of enjoyment and rejoicing. But look, God's not telling you to be cavalier with your finances. He's not telling you to forego college and have a party budget, right? Right? He even tells us at the end of this passage, he says, every man shall give as he is able. According to the blessing of the Lord, your God, uh, that he has given to you. The principle here is not 
go into debt to have a party, right? The principle is no man should come empty-handed. As God has provided, so we trust his provision and we give to others. We rejoice in God's care and his provision. And it does require trust. Being willing to sacrifice some of what we have, it requires trust that God will provide again. And that's why not only do we uh, remember God's past protection and we rejoice in God's present provision, but we hope in God's future faithfulness. You know, these feasts, these feasts were designed to form God's people so that generation after generation, the people would know God as their covenant God the one who is with them, the one who cares for them, the one who loves them, the one who never leaves. And yet, and yet, unfortunately, history seems to tell us that Israel didn't often keep the feasts. They didn't often celebrate. In 2 Kings chapter 23, uh, this is during the reign of Josiah, who's one of the last kings of the southern kingdom. We get a sobering statement you know, Josiah is, is dealing with uh, reform in his country. He's trying to draw the people back to, back to God, right, to repent of their past sins and, and set the ship aright. And, and it says that they, they found the book of the law, right? And, and so the king commanded all of the people, keep the Passover. He's reinstituting the Passover. And it says this in verse 22 of, of 2 Kings 23. It says, for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. Not through the days of the judges, not through the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. That means David. Did David not celebrate the Passover? Similarly, in Nehemiah chapter 8, when the people of God return from exile, when they're, they've been in exile for 70 years and now they're coming back and Ezra rebuilds the temple and then Nehemiah returns to, to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah tells us in chapter 8 that they celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it says this in verse 17, all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, they made booths and they lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, or Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. Not since the days of Joshua. Now, let's, let's put that in perspective for a moment. This is Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy was given to the people on the plains of Moab before they go into the promised land. And who leads them into the promised land? Joshua. Seemingly, from the very beginning, the people of God struggled to celebrate. But in both circumstances, in both circumstances, whether you're on the brink of destruction like Josiah was, the impending doom of his kingdom, or, or you're picking up the pieces in the aftermath of the tragedy like Nehemiah was, they feasted. They feasted to the faithfulness of God. They weren't sure what tomorrow would bring, but they knew God was faithful. 
They didn't know how God would be faithful, but they knew it was true. It was their only hope. Some of you here this morning are probably struggling. You know, maybe money's tight. Maybe work isn't going well. Perhaps there's a struggle in your family or or maybe in your own personal life uh, that feels insurmountable. You're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe you're on the edge of a disaster and you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death and you don't see a way out. There is like left is right and up is down. You don't know. Or maybe you're trying to pick up the pieces after just a horrendous tragedy has hit and you're just trying to place one foot in front of the other. Whether you're experiencing days of plenty and abundance and, and you see God's blessings and, and you're, you're rejoicing in his, in his beauty and wonder or you're in the fog of despair and, and you don't know what to do next. We're here today to celebrate that we place our hope in the God who is faithful. As Christians, we get to see that story of faithfulness continue to play out. You know, in Josiah's day and Nehemiah's day, they had no idea. They had no idea how God would be faithful. You know, for Josiah, it was his own death and then the fall of his kingdom, exile. For, for Nehemiah, it was returning to a ruined city to, to patch back together a wall and, and, and try to patch together a people that still seemed to struggle every day with what it meant to follow God faithfully. But they trusted that God was faithful. They trusted that God's purposes, his promises to them, his covenant with them would continue. And we're called to place that same trust in that same God because they're the same promises and the same purposes. These feasts, they're not just somber reminders of what God has done in the past. They're not just festive meals for us to rejoice and have fun at. They point to larger realities. And those realities shape even our own experience here this morning. Passover, for instance. Passover is what Jesus celebrated on the night that he was betrayed, and he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he took the cup and he poured it out saying, this is my body and this is my blood. In the Lord's Supper, we feast on the once for all sacrifice, not the lamb that would cause the the angel of death to pass over, but Jesus. Jesus who who would bring ultimate rescue from slavery, not from Egypt, but from sin. In the Feast of Weeks, it actually became known by a different name because it was 50 days after Passover, it became referred to as Pentecost. And Pentecost is the backdrop in Acts chapter 2, the the festival that's being celebrated whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people. And and there is the preaching of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and we see the gathering of first fruits, not of grain, but of the church, the church of Jesus Christ. The Feast of Booze. The Feast of Booze is mentioned by the prophet Zechariah. And, And it says that there will come a day, there will come a day whenever all nations will submit to the one true God. 
He is king, he is the Lord of hosts. And on that day, all nations will gather together in Jerusalem and celebrate the Feast of Booze. Instead of celebrating the end of a grain harvest and the ingathering of crops, it is a celebration of the ingathering of God's people. All nations together worshiping the one true king, Jesus. We, even now, get to partake in these celebrations because each of these feasts point to Jesus for their true significance. It is in Jesus that we place our hope. It is in Jesus that God shows his faithfulness. It is in Jesus that we can celebrate. It is in Jesus that we find our ultimate answer to our need. It is in Jesus that sin is defeated. It is in Jesus that our needs are met. Jesus is the rightful and true king. And so we celebrate him. We remember his past protection. We celebrate and rejoice in his present provision, and we hope in his future faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, to you we offer our praise and our honor and our joy. You are our joy and our hope, and we pray that we might be people marked by the celebration and rejoicing of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love to us and to a world who desperately needs you. Bless us as we go from here and spread that joy to those around us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.